Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our very latest podcast. We're now into our 40s, as in the number of episodes we've uh, been recording, which is amazing. And um, we are absolutely thrilled this evening to be joined by Tamara Lowe. And Tamara, uh, let me introduce you as the founder of Cricket Kindness, which is a, an, an absolutely wonderful uh, charity that uh, Tamara has set up by herself, which we're going to find out a lot more about as we chat. But she's also a mother of two sporty boys herself, um, a lifelong cricket fan, freelance uh, non-fiction writer, former homeopath and a passionate humanitarian. So wonderful to uh, to meet you, uh, Tamara, and thank you ever so much for making the time to join us today. Thanks so much, Tom. And our first question, uh, which we always ask our guests, is the same uh, question. So it's really giving you the opportunity to um, describe to explain and tell for the benefit of the listeners how you first got connected or involved with the sport of cricket? Well, I was really lucky to grow up in neighbouring suburbs to the Sydney Cricket Ground. So I guess cricket was there right from my very early childhood memories. Um, When I was about eight, a friend of my parents who had played actually football for Australia, um, took me to the cricket for the first time. And the story behind that was that in those days, if you'd played, if you'd represented Australia um, in any sport at the SCG, you got a lifelong membership. Oh, wow. So, yeah, which was very cool. So, um, so this really lovely friend of um, my parents saw that I had a, a, an interest in cricket, which was a little bit strange, actually, um, just given that, you know, I grew up in a, um, in a, I suppose, in an immigrant um, community in Sydney. Um, my grandparents were both um, Eastern European um, on both sides, maternal and paternal. Um, and so there wasn't much cricket being played. It wasn't, um, it wasn't very common, but there was a lot of football being played. Um, that's why my, my parents' friend... Um, you know, went firing football. But anyway, he took he took me to the SCG and because he was a member, we went straight into the members, which was, you know, really cool. And, and obviously, you know, the SCG is a very iconic cricket ground. Um, it's very, it's beautiful. The, mem- the old member stands are still um, as they were years ago. Um, and I suppose therein began my lifelong love for the game. Can you can you perhaps try and paint a, a picture of so for the majority of us uh, mere mortals um won't have had the privilege of going to the SCG um mm. and for anyone who's listening who has been to the SCG they probably won't have been into the members bit so mm. would you be able to try and paint a picture as mm. clearly as possible as to you know what it looked like what it smelt like what you know what yeah. the, the the key sort of experiences of sensations were yeah, well, the SCG is very beautiful and it's in a really lovely part of Sydney. Um, and so you kind of, you walk through the gates and the the stands, the member stands are, there's two, there's three member stands. Two of them are um, 
the heritage listed stands. Um, the one the, the one of the stands has been redone now in the last sort of five years, and it's enormous. But the two the 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 actual members members stand and the ladies stand, their heritage listed stands. So they um, have been there for you know over a hundred years, which. In England isn't very old, but in Australia that's <laughs> antiquated. <laughs> and so, so um, the, the member stands are also really unique in that um, you can pretty much um, touch the players. That's how close you are. Like there's if anyone seen it on um, on TV, the the players are, are on the balcony, and there's really no barrier. So um, in those days, they hadn't cordoned off that area. These days, it's they're um, allocated to 50 members. Um, but in those days, you know, you, we were allowed to, 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 to sit there. And so because this um, lovely family friend of ours was, you know, a, um, a former Australian football representative, um, he decided he wanted to sit there. So that's where we sat. So it was... It's quite amazing to be able to watch the play, but also, you know, be listening to, you know, the coaches talking to the team and um, all sorts of things. And then actually um, where we were sitting, the the players actually have to walk straight past on their way down um, and, and up if they've, if they've gotten out. So um, that was quite a, you know, unique um, experience, I suppose. Um, and then actually a couple of, uh, probably the following season, um, when I was getting more and more into cricket, and I'm talking, I was only, you know, a very young, mm-hmm. you know, child then, um, my dad decided that he'd, he'd take us to the hill. And in those days, the hill was, um, a hill. It was, it was a patch, you know, grassy patch. It wasn't. There were no, and and that was kind of where the um, let's just say the the kind of the more boisterous, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which was also a bit of an eye opener for a child. Um, so, you know, as I said, you know, we we grew up in the neighbouring suburbs, so it was it wasn't a hassle to go to the cricket. It was just you know it it was an Aussie childhood, um, and even though uh, you know I, I wasn't you know it was a I didn't. I didn't know anything else. I didn't kind of realise it was a bit of a strange um, fascination to be developing um, or a strange obsession to be developing. Um, I was a really sporty kid. I was I was playing tennis, you know, seven days a week, but I just loved watching cricket. And so did you did you get up and close and personal with any players of, of any... Do you remember any anybody in particular? Um, no, not... Oh, well, you know, I mean, Alan Border was... You know, he was um, he was the, the AB. captain. Um, yeah, and he was, you know, he was wonderful. Um, later on, when, when I got a little bit older, uh, I was very lucky to, to meet a few of the players. Um, and and even actually in 1999, when I was much older, um, Jeff Marsh, who the former Australian mm-hmm. opener, who was then um, our coach, Mm-hmm. Um, for the first test series um, that I went over to watch in the Caribbean, um, he very kindly. I was talking to him one day at the SCG um, in the members because I w- was very lucky to go on to become an SCG member myself, um, and he 
was amazing. He, I, I mentioned that I was going to fly over to watch a few of the test matches and he gave me tickets. He said he would provide me with tickets, which was incredible. So um, through that, I did meet a few, um, a few players. That's amazing. And so, yeah, it was amazing. I yeah, was amazed. <laughs> it sounds, it sound, you know, it's, it's just, it's so incredible how that first question um, sort of opens up uh, mm. such a, such a myriad of stories and how you know you said it in your own words actually that um, you know you wouldn't have realised at the time age eight or nine uh, that this was kind of the beginning of this lifelong obsession uh, that developed over time uh, around the game. So mm. so so you said you were playing tennis you know seven days a week but you still mm. had this uh, this interest um, and this sort of. Um, this this sort of motivation to wanting to watch cricket but in terms of uh, as you got a bit older um how did that interest develop further um do you know what um the truth is cricket sort of became my lifelong companion even in those young years um there were a few sort of things going on at home i suppose and um I, it was, it was sort of almost a meditation, um, you know, looking out at the field, you know, because it was easy to go to the SCG as well. Um, you know, I, I was a member, so I used to go and watch shield matches, um, whenever I could. Um, so yeah, it, it, it really became my, my lifelong companion. I, I loved the history of the game. I, you know, I, I loved reading about the history of cricket um i i suppose in you know in many ways uh, it was a way to connect with my australianness <laughs> with you know having grown up only a second generation australian um it was you know it was sort of a way to embrace australia as well um and yeah you know there was you know we we had some sad sadness in our family and it was a good escape it was it was yeah i can only describe it as it, it became my lifelong companion it be, it became my companion and you know and it takes up you know days yeah absolutely <laughs> and so, yeah and so you know i love the statistics i i loved everything about it and would you um was it as a as a woman you know becoming a member as a as a female member were were there many other female members when you when you joined as a member of the SCG or was it still quite unusual? I don't again. I, I forgive me if it's. Um, no. You know. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, by then there were other female me- members, mm-hmm. um, and by then you were allowed to go into the members bar. Um, but I know that um, you know had I been twenty years um, older, uh, you know they, you, you just weren't allowed in. Yeah, so but you were still kind of at that stage where that was changing um, to become more accepted, rather than it being, you know, in the present day perhaps more more the norm than it was even when you first became a member. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. No. Look, I mean, I also had a friend um, at school, um, you know, one of my best friends who was he was a big cricket fan as well, and so he um, he 
taught me a lot about cricket, um, about the nuances and uh, of the game. Um, but yeah, it was it was freaky. It was a total freak. It wasn't, um, you know, it, it was quirky and it was freaky. Um, and there were there weren't opportunities to play either. Mm. Um, certainly not where I was growing up. I, obviously, there were if you really sort it out. Mm. Um, I, I guess because I had tennis. Um, and that was occupying me and I was sort of playing, you know, at a pretty competitive level. Um, I didn't seek cricket out, which I, I regret that now. I wish I had have, but um, I think had it have been a bit easier, I, I would have. And these days it's very easy, you know, um, girls cricket runs alongside um, boys cricket. But in those days you really had to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 50 in a couple of years. Like in those days you really had to seek it out and I guess you know I was one of three kids and and it just you know we just didn't yeah but I think I think that's I think that's very interesting to hear for certainly for our UK listeners because what I've learned from uh, speaking to uh, many of our guests who have been have grown up in the UK um, one of the things that they've recognized and they've acknowledged and and you know spoken openly about is that that accessibility to the game uh, from 20 years ago plus was very very limited uh, for yeah. uh, for girls yeah. in the UK and in fact um w- one of the biggest um influences over the transformational change that is that is you know in the process of of ex- us experiencing at the moment is due to what happened in, under the watch of cricket australia and uh, them sort of almost breaking the mold when it when it came to girls and women's cricket so uh, it's very interesting to hear your experience being in yeah. and around um, sport at that time, but not finding it yeah. that accessible, and yet things now are obviously a lot better. Oh look, and you know, also Tom, I mean, I um, uh, you mentioned that I, you know, I like I love writing, and one of my um, sort of I suppose you know immature, ill-fated ambitions was um, to become a cricket broadcaster mm-hmm. when I finished school. You know, I, I sort of thought. I'd like my life to revolve around cricket, even back then, you know, so, um, you know, it was a, I I didn't, I, I, well, I didn't, I didn't become a cricket commentator, obviously, um, but I did study journalism and I went to work at Murdoch newspapers and, um, you know, realised pretty soon that I I wasn't going to be suited for that profession, but, um, even then, it was there were very few female sports journalists. Mm. Um, very well, there the, the, there'd never been a female cricket broadcaster other than um, an Australian actor called Kate Fitzpatrick, and she mm. really didn't do a good job. Um, and so she sort of you know buried um, the ambitions of, of of people like myself. Not that there were very many you know who wanted to be cricket broadcasters um so yeah you know now i I look at the equal distribution of Mm. um of broadcasters you know and and it's joyous i love love it yeah, I, th- I agree, and I think um, yeah. everyone you know who follows cricket um, in you know various media channels would also probably 
um, wholeheartedly agree with that assessment because it is it has become a lot more inclusive. It has become a lot more balanced, uh, not not just um, you know men and women, but also um, in terms of um, you know non-white uh, representatives in in broadcasting of sport in general, let alone of cricket, which I think is absolutely what should you know is absolutely the right thing. So so we're going back to. To, so you, you say that you, you, know, you pursued or uh, started to pursue an interest in broadcasting with that interest in writing. You, had, you, you were further mm-hmm. developing and furnishing that, uh, that interest around cricket. Um, so, so what happened yeah. when you, when you realised that uh, broadcasting and um, you know, the media wasn't for you? So how did the, the lifelong companionship with cricket still continue? Yeah, I think I think I think we can all, you know, I, I this is this is a a point where I say I I've got the benefit of actually seeing your you know facial reaction, which adds to the emotion in the tone of your voice. But I think even people listening without that facial recognition can hear that emotion in your voice. So I'm sure they can relate yeah. to that and empathise. Uh, and I think it's a lovely turn of phrase as well, actually, that you use um, of of have of it become of cricket becoming a lifelong companion and you know yeah. you, you you referenced before about it being an escape you also said that it was meditative um so clearly yeah. it's provided that that friendship that companionship in in many ways um over yeah. the years um and yeah. and it's and it's been a constant like you say it's been a constant which i think um yeah. is, a, is another yeah. great way of describing um that that lifelong companionship so yeah. so so may, maybe um this would be a time to um, having started to travel and watch cricket, Australia, you know, the Australians play uh, outside of Australia. You mentioned the Caribbean before. So maybe this is an opportunity to, uh, to maybe begin the story of how the idea hatched uh, to, uh, to what is now cricket kindness. Yeah, sure. So I first went to the Caribbean in 1999 um, to watch Australia play the f- final two tests of a four-test series. Um, so I saw the third test in Barbados at Kensington Oval and the fourth test at in Antigua at the old ARG. Mm. Um, and I suppose in some ways that, you know, did change my life. Um, what had happened was some old school friends had said the year before that they were thinking of going over and did I want to come so I thought about it for a millisecond and I said yep I'm in and one by one they all 
um, fell by the wayside and didn't come. And I'm like, right, guys, thanks for putting the idea in my head, but I'm going. And I did. So I went by myself. Um, I was 26. Um, you know, I'd mentioned, you know, that my mum had passed away. My, my Tragically, three years after my mum died in 1995, um, in 1998, my, my late little brother died as well. So, you know, there I was kind of pretty heartbroken, mm. um, thinking, you know, life was pretty grim. Mm. Um, and I thought this is going to be a life-affirming trip. So I just was brave and I just went, all right, I'm going. So I did. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, in the, in this, th that was in April and, um, in 1999 and at the final one day that year, so that in our summer, which is, um, in January, um, I'd been at the SCG in the members. Talking to Jeff Marsh. Yeah. And, and and happened to be at the bar after the game. And it was the final one day of the season. So, you know, generally what happens at the SCG is, um, especially in the members, is after a match, everyone hangs around and, you know, has a beer or whatever. So um, we were at the bar and, and I li literally turned around and Jeff Marsh happened to be there, <laughs> you know. And I, I suppose I'd had a beer, not, you know, not, not that many, maybe one or two. And so, you know, everyone had. And um, and I said, oh, are you looking forward to going to the West Indies? You know, and he said, yeah, yeah, um, it's going to be great. I said, oh, I'm going. And he's like, are you? Oh, and, and literally spontaneously, which I'll never forget, um, he said, oh, are you, are you sorted for tickets? Oh, I, I, I can give you tickets. And I'm like, really? <laughs> That'd be amazing. And I said, well, how, how would we organise it? He said, well, just make sure you come to the training session um, the day before the test starts in Barbados. And I said, okay, <laughs> that sounds amazing. So, you know, I didn't, I, I assumed that that would work out, but I had no idea of, you know, sort of knowing. Um, but yeah, sure enough, that's what happened. And it was amazing. So um, watching the tests in the West Indies back then in 1999, you know, West Indies were just coming to the end of their power. Mm. I mean, they, they sort of, you know, but uh, they were at the end, but they still had Brian Lara. They still had Courtney Walsh. They still had um, um, Ambrose. Yeah, Ambrose. Ambrose. Um, so. Was it not that series where Lara um, scored a double century? Uh, no, in, at Kensington Oval, he carried his bat. Yeah, that's right. Three yeah. not out. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'd scored 499 in the first innings and we mm. lost the test match. That's right, yeah. And yeah. it went crazy. It place, the the most, place went crazy, didn't it? it? Yeah, it was the most phenomenal test match. Yeah. A friend of mine was there. And really? Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I've never experienced five days like that in my life. Um I've actually got photographs. I've got still photographs from my friend who was from Bermuda, and sadly he died last year. But um, he was a la he was an equivalent of you, in terms of he travelled the world watching the team that he supported his his you know his national team if you like, um, and he travelled the world following them um, from the you know the good times through the bad times, 
um, and he, he Malcolm um, is his first name, and uh, and and he he used to take photographs with quite a big camera, and um, and okay. and he. He t- and he sent me it because we we met at Edgbaston at the because fir- around about that time the first Test match of the English okay. summer was West Indies against England, uh, and I happened to sit next yeah. to him and we just started chatting a bit like you and Jeff Marsh, and um, and then we <laughs> and then we met um, a few years later uh, when he came back to the UK and uh, we watched some more cricket. But in between times he he went yeah. to that same uh, series. He went to that same match that you did took some photographs and sent me pictures. And so I've still got photographs of Lyra going off, holding his bat up. Oh, yeah. No, it was amazing. No, I just suddenly wondered whether... Because, uh, uh, do you know, I sat in the same seats the whole um, test match and we were in the um, 3W stand um, yep. at Kensington. And, um, and I was sitting next to people from Bermuda. Um, oh, right. And they... Yeah, and that's why I suddenly... Well, he'd have been there with his I wife, I think. He'd have been there with his wife because his wife used to go with him. And, and so Mal- Malcolm Simmons. I, um, there were a group of four. Um, Tony was one of the people that had this little girl. Um, anyway, I'll dig up the photos and yeah. I'll send you photos and we'll see if it's the same. That would be amazing. Yeah, it would. Because I, they, they were, I don't know if they were big drinkers, um, if your friend was a, a drinker, but the people... No, not I massive drinker, but... Sure, but um, they they had brought in some rum, scotch or something scotch. Right. <laughs> um, but what what was really amazing about where we were sitting and watching was we were in front of this um, group of supporters from Trinidad called the Trini Posse. Yeah, no, I've, loved, Lynn, I've got friends from there as well. Really? Yeah. And so um, because I was in this this seat, this seat that with the tickets that um, Jeff Marsh had given given me, they were really pretty good seats, mm. you know. And um, it, it was just, it was such fun and such good cricket that it was like the, per- if you're a cricket, yeah. you know, Duffy, I think is the term, um, you just can't have a better time. No. It was... <laughs> even, even though, it even was though you were, so... even though you lost the test match. Yeah. No, absolutely. Even though we lost the test match, but you know, really, that that match kind of you know does go down in history. Yeah, it does. Um, and and even though we lost the test match, it was just incredible. And just to have come all that way and from Australia to get to the Caribbean is a mission. Mm-hmm. You know, it's thirty five hours door to door. Yeah, you have to stop overnight if if you go um, if you go through Miami. Otherwise, you have to come through the UK. I mean, there's no easy way to get there. And so by the time you get there, you're absolutely exhausted. And, you know, I mean, the the test before, which which was at Sabina Park in Jamaica, was over in three days. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you'd, you know, gone all the way for that. So, um, yeah, to go down to the final, you know, final session on the final day was just amazing. Um, And there was such fun. I mean, there was, you know, the blow-up swimming pool. There were... um, you know, um, Larrick and Aussies playing silly buggers with the um, ground attendant, you know, asking for, um, you know, all sorts of crazy things. And because the ground attendant didn't know, um, you know, he broadcasted and, and the, you know, there were lots of Aussies there and the, like the whole, you know, Aussies in the crowd would erupt. And it was really fun. It was very fun. The Trini Posse were, as I said, like literally right below us. 
us on the boundary fence and um and they were wheeling in you know speakers the sizes of refrigerators every mm. morning <laughs> yeah that so sounds like, like them yeah right there it was really fun and what so, was what was it like afterwards did did you go back to you know where you were staying or were you um did you no. kind of just go out on the on the sort of the the party that would have been um yeah. and, i'm sure following on yeah. that victory yeah no definitely and actually every night that happened <laughs> so i didn't sleep a lot um I was very lucky, though, that um, because of this connection with Jeff Marsh, he he kind of looked after me a bit and didn't, you know, yeah. And and actually, I was I'm not a very big drinker. Uh, you know, I might have two or three drinks over a whole night, and that's it. So, you know, I I think, uh, you know, I, I sort of and I was much younger, so you don't need that much sleep, really, do you? So I didn't miss a ball. Um, I never slept in. Um, that wasn't part of the agenda. I hadn't come all this way, but I had very late nights and very early mornings. Um, and I was staying um, on, in, you know, um, for anyone who's been to Barbados, they have these kind of minivans that are like taxis, mm. or so mini buses, you know, and they're like, you know, very fun even just to get on a minibus in Barbados because there's often reggae playing and whatever. And literally the, um, the place I was staying was right outside a, um, a bus stop so I could just kind of get there and 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 get get in with a sea of people into Kensington and yeah it was great it what was an amazing experience and what a story fantastic yeah it was really good so yeah so I, after every night um there's a, a place called the boatyard in in Barbados mm-hmm. um which is you know pretty um it's it's a pretty famous place and it's right on the beach in Carlisle Bay which is just this beautiful bay very close to Kensington Oval um, you know, a big, big bar um, on the beach, and it was fun. Yeah. And was it was it on that trip that the idea came to you about um, looking to set something up, um, or, um, or was it later? Look, well, I suppose you know, at the age of twenty six, um, and having just lost my mum and brother, I wasn't really thinking about setting up charities um, at that. Point, um, I was, I was kind of just trying to pick up the pieces of yeah, my life, really, sure. and study, um, and finish my studies because mm-hmm. they'd been quite disrupted through all of the tragedy um, tragedies. So um, I went on to Antigua after Barbados, and in those days, Antigua was uh, to watch the fourth test, and in those days, Antigua was way less developed than mm. it is today. And really saw, um, you know, how little the kids had, yeah. how, how little everyone had, really. And um, so that stayed with me. Um, that, re- you know, really, really stayed with me. Um, it, it wasn't until um, 16 years later um, that I returned to the Caribbean um, in 2015. And... Um, at that time, I, I'd already had, by then I'd had, had my boys. They were, uh, how old were they? They were about six and eight at the time. Is that, is that right? And did Something they like go that. with you? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I had taken um, some just very entry-level cricket gear and, 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 
you know, bucket hats and uh, all their old stuff that they'd grown out of. Um, I'd packed it in our suitcases knowing that we were going to be watching some test matches in the Caribbean and how, and I had just had this idea to give it out, you know, to some kids because um, we didn't need it anymore and I, I knew that they'd love it. So um, so I did that. And then um, in Jamaica, actually, we met lots of kids at Sabina Park, um, obviously day after day. And, they, you know, these were just kids, urban kids from uh, uh, from urban Kingstown and Kingston. And um, they'd snuck in. <laughs> it wasn't very full at the cricket. It was, it was actually quite heartbreaking um, mm. to see how... Um, at the empty stands. Yeah, especially after your experience previously. Yeah, yeah, it was heartbreaking. Um, but anyway, these my 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 boys. To, so what I I bought them um, a, you know, a cheap bat to play, so we could play some beach cricket mm-hmm. on on our holiday. And um, they brought it with them to the ground. So that they could get it signed by some of the Aussie players, and you know, just hang out at the at the nets and and see, you know, try your luck like most kids do. So, a lot of the local kids were very very interested in this cricket bat, not for the signatures, just because they want a cricket bat because they'd never had a cricket bat before. So anyway, um, they I said, look, I can't give you this bat. It's you know, it's our sort of memento, but. I asked a group of them to write down the name of their school um, and the address and I said, I'm going to try to get you some cricket gear because I really, you know, I could tell that they were really keen and, and you know, I, I love children. I, even when I was working as a homeopath, I sort of um, had a special interest in paediatric homeopathy. And so I, um, I, I, everywhere we went, I would ask the kids, you know, have you ever had a cricket bat? Have you ever had a cricket ball? You know, and, you, you know, unanimously, the answer was no, no one had ever had anything. Um, you know, these kids that, you know, may or may not have had a pair of shoes on their feet. So um, after the test finished, I just went to a local sports store and I bought some junior cricket sets. And I the next day, I, you know, unannounced, turned up at the principal's office of this school in Kingston called Calabar Junior High. And... But he thought I was a bit mad, but he was very grateful. And th- I, that was the start of it. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, yeah, after, the, after that, I, um, we'd met some Australians and I remember sitting down. We were having some dinner with them in, um, in, in Kingston. And I remember sitting there, you know, this is in 2015, saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect cricket gear when, when we go home and send it back here because it's very easy to do um and i think it'll make a big difference and that was really the idea um you know kind of came to me that it was really about sending aid Mm. in the form of cricket gear to children living in a region of the world where there's such a strong cricketing history Mm. but who don't have the means to afford even the most basic equipment yeah you can't play cricket without equipment Mm. and um, and I figured that I didn't know how hard it would be. I had no idea. I mean, like most things, if you think about it too much, you would never do it. But um, I thought I'm going to try, and I did. So, 
So how, I mean, looking back now, because, you know, that was six years ago and um, I know you've uh, you've done an amazing amount of, of stuff between then and now and you've got some ambitious um, objectives that you're going to talk about in a moment, I'm sure, in terms of what you want to achieve this year. But have you had the opportunity to go back and see some of your work actually in real life, as in the kids using the equipment etc is that is that something that you've been able to do yeah yeah it's been amazing tom honestly um so in the last five years i've managed to collect and ship the equivalent of eight containers of cricket gear all around the world um but predominantly to the Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, although I did send a 40-foot container to Sri Lanka, um, and it has gone to some other countries, um, including the Solomon Islands and Nepal and Fiji um, and Sierra Leone, um, and obviously some Indigenous kids in Australia. But um, but predominantly, um, I've been sending gear to Antigua and Barbuda, um, Barbados, um, Trinidad. Um, late last year, I sent a big consignment to Nevis, um, and so the, in terms of seeing the impact, um, so in Antigua, um, to date, I've been able to donate cricket gear to 40 primary schools, um, 10 secondary schools and eight college teams. And basically as a direct result of having this injection of cricket gear, um, Girls' participation in cricket has markedly increased in Antigua, which I, you know, I feel very um, proud of um, and happy about. Um, and also in Antigua, um, so the the um, the coordinator of schools cricket in Antigua is Ridley Jacobs, um, the former West Indies. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 and um, and so Ridley was able to. Uh, he also works for the Ministry of Sport in Antigua. Mm-hmm. So Ridley was able um, to set up a new competition for children in Antigua in 2019 um, as a direct result of having more equipment. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, which also, you know, is really just makes me so happy. Um, and... I also have had some feedback from a lot of school principals and school PE teachers um, because before I started doing this, um, many schools had no cricket gear for Mm. their kids. And if they did have cricket gear, it was not age-appropriate cricket gear. So you might have an adult bat in a primary school or something crazy, which, you know, you just can't use. And so um, the feedback is that it makes well obviously having it for a start is you know a big improvement but also it makes um you know training um and participation more accessible um worthwhile yeah Yeah. because you know they're not having to share one pair of pads between a team yeah which is what was happening 
Yeah, I mean, 40 primary schools is what um, uh, Tamara said. So four zero, forty 40 primary schools, 10 secondary schools, eight colleges. You can add up in your heads, uh, anyone listening to this podcast, um, yeah, the number of children that that means that that's made a, diff- a positive difference to. Um, and it's, yeah. I think it's brilliant as well to hear the story of Ridley Jacobs and the, the new tournament yeah. in 2019. So what's... Yeah, well, that, and that's just in Antigua. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it's the same in Barbados. It's the same in Trinidad. It's the same in Neva. So I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, no, it's um, an amazing example. Yeah. So, so what so, what are the objectives that you set for this year? Well, um, obviously the sun's shining finally. <laughs> Life seems to be returning to something a little bit more normal. Um, God willing. Um, so now that cricket's back on, I'm really, really doing my best to collect as much gear as humanly possible in the next month. Um, so cricket gear that I kind of call it upcycling. Um, so cricket gear that children have grown out of um, that may or may not, you know, fit anymore. As long as it's in really good condition, I, I kind of think of myself as a cricket fairy and I go around scooping up um, all of this cricket gear. Um, so I've set myself a massive task um, and, and goal. I don't know if I'll get there, but I'm going to try my hardest to, to fill three containers. Um, I've got one going, I'd like to send one to Barbados again and um, one to Trinidad and one to Guyana. And... Um, so how can how can so how can people help? How can people get in touch? Yeah. So if anyone um, listening has any cricket gear um, or is it associated with a club, and they'd like to do a kit collection, um, that would be fantastic because that is a really good way of collecting a lot of gear um, quickly. Um, and it's basically just you know asking people to look in their kit bags um, and see if there's anything that they don't need anymore. Um, gloves um, and pads need to be in pairs. Um, I can't take anything that has holes in them. Um, helmets can't be broken. Um, but it, So it needs to be in good condition um, because the whole point is to give it with dignity. Um, but bats can be re-gripped. Um, that's not a problem. Um, peop- I've got three collection hubs at the moment in England. Um, but of course, if anyone wants to, you know, just take it upon themselves to um, collect, then I'll find a way to get the gear um, from them. Um, so the main warehouse is in Surrey, mm-hmm. um, a very, very wonderful um, man who I've met called Dave Gardner has very kindly offered me um, free warehousing, which is phenomenal. So we've got a warehouse in Surrey Um We've got also, um, for anyone in the Midlands, um, we've got a collection hub at B3 Cricket in the Midlands. Yeah, Nottingham, um, yeah. In Nottingham, yeah. Um, and I'm in Hertfordshire, so um, I, I cover, kind of cover Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire um, and Cambridge. Um, so every, um, anyone who would like to get in touch with me, you know, can certainly um, email me. So what's your um, email tomorrow? So it's Tamara Lowe yeah. at cricketcharity.org. Okay. 
And what about uh, social media? Because I know that uh, you, you you joined our Facebook group now, but what's the main way of reaching out to you to you in on social media? Instagram, which is Cricket Kindness. Okay. Um, my Facebook is Tamara J Lo. Okay. Um, and the website is CricketCharity.org. Okay, so I think um, for for when this goes out, for people listening, then there's various means of uh, getting in contact with Tamara, and as you've heard from her just then um if you're involved in cricket in any way whether as a parent or a coach or a teacher um or you're in a club environment then um do as she suggests because there will inevitably be some upcycled gear from uh, last year that children have grown out of uh, and rather than just throwing it away or putting it in a charity shop let's see if we can um all club together and um you know and help Tamara achieve her goal in the next few weeks of filling those three containers and getting as much stuff as we can out to the West Indies so um yeah no that would be absolutely phenomenal you know similarly um often um clubs might have boxes of old shirts left over yeah um, that if they change sponsors um and you know they might have been sitting there for a couple of years but if they're brand new um I'd love to take them off their off people's hands um, you know, and, and really what, what's amazing, as you say, is, you know, if you're a club or if you're a teacher, um, you know, spreading the word through your school or your club and then, in effect, you become a little collection hub and then um, I can work out how to get the gear from you, um, you know, in that way. But, you know, people are more than welcome to contact me, you know, individually and, you know, you can always even just send, you know, send your gear down. Um, to either Surrey or, or, or Nottingham or, or, or to me in, um, in Hertfordshire. But it's really, you know, I always describe um, Cricket Kindness as a big joint effort, Tom. You know, I, I spent my life contacting people and trying to make it all happen because um, there's a lot of logistics, obviously, then in, part, um, you know, storing mm-hmm. and packing. Shipping and, and stuff. Ra- and shipping, <laughs> raising the money mm. to ship, mm. actually, um, if I can... Would you mind if I just kind of mentioned that we also have a Just Giving page? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, absolutely that, yeah. Yeah, because that is the way that I pay for shipments. So um, last year, um, in that brief window between um, August and October, um, when we were able to get some cricket in, I was able to collect um, enough to send two really large consignments to Antigua and Nevis. And so I set up this Just Giving page. Um, those shipments have been do- have been um, distributed in early this year, which is amazing. So that feels a little bit miraculous, actually, um, just given how difficult COVID is. And you know, um, I never thought I'd see cricket kindness donations with you know kids with masks on, but you know, it's a changed world, and and and, and everyone did their best. But um, so there's a just giving page. It's um, just giving crowdfunding um, cricket kindness, um, and. And you'll see that uh, I've set a target uh, to try to raise the money to send these next um, these next shipments as well. Okay, so um, I think it's uh, well without state stating the obvious, it's an unbelievable story. Um, so to you know to go back to 
um, yourself when you were eight years old being invited by um, a family friend who just happened to be a, um, a representative of the Australian football side who so got into the members stand. Uh, that kind of started that that relationship mm. that you described as a lifelong companion uh, that provided you with much more than just uh, being a spectator, uh, but with that yeah. uh, that that ability to escape what um, you described as some you know some very heartfelt heart rendering um, you know personal family tragedies. Uh, but then you know it's given you a a really positive purpose that um, you kind of hatched the idea of having been to the Caribbean uh, with your family and um, and played a bit of beach cricket and uh, your children um, you know mixing with with local children and uh, and here we are um, you know in 2021 talking about getting uh, three containers of of cricket gear out to to the Caribbean when you've you've managed to do eight in the last few years so uh, it's, it's an incredible story we've got loads of ways in which people can contact you so uh, hopefully this 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 podcast in some small way will lead to some um you know some positive contributions from within the cricketing fraternity um we you know predominantly in the UK but we do have listeners outside the UK as well so um there's lots of ways that uh, people can connect with you as well as the just giving crowdfunding cricket kindness page um so yeah. Tamara thank you ever so much for sharing just you know just a little bit of that information but whetting people's appetite for more i'm absolutely sure of it um and i'm sure as well that everyone will join me in wishing you all the very best with your 2021 uh, aspirations to get those three consignments or three containers out to the caribbean and continue the great work thank you so so much tom i really appreciate it it's our pleasure and uh, for those of you who've listened uh, to this this podcast and I'm sure anyone has had the um, the opportunity to you'll you'll want to just uh, get just just jump on social media and really try to support Tamara um, with this uh, project that she started a few years ago um, but you know please please leave us a, a, fr- a friendly review and spread the word about the the lives in cricket uh, podcast show that we've uh, we're on to our 40 or 41st episode now Uh, So, Tamara, thank you ever so much again, and uh, we will speak soon. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.